hello to the Loudwater Outfitter community. Hope everyone's doing well this week. Thank you for taking the time to stop by. This is the Loudwater Outfitters podcast, hosted by myself, the Palmetto Sleuth. So again, welcome to the show. Thanks, everyone. Appreciate all the support everyone's been giving us. Thank you for taking the time to listen to see what we've got going on this week. Uh, briefly, today's episode is going to be on a case out of Texas. Uh, this young man's been missing for roughly seven months. I believe the official date would have been considered is considered July 28th of 2022. Uh from what we understand, uh, we've had several people, several people reach out to us about this and kind of send us some info. So thought we'd be a good idea to put something together. Uh, briefly, what we understand is he went, I guess, went to visit a friend, hang out for the evening. And uh, after that, it was time for him to go. And driving a 95 white Mercury Cougar and left from there should have been we're assuming heading home and that was the last anybody ever heard from or seen of mr williams again and again his name's Corey williams if i didn't say that so kind of an interesting case not a lot to go on but like i said we've had several people reach out so we thought it'd be worth trying to put something together and try to spread the story and get some awareness out there so we've got a few things to kind of talk about just briefly for a moment kind of let you know where we are uh if you pay attention to the Loudwater Facebook page, uh, Michael, the owner, he is out of country for a few weeks. I believe he says in South Africa, working on a couple of things there. So kind of holding the fort down. <laughs> but uh, got a lot going on, a lot of podcasts I'm working on, and, of course, videoing of everything, editing, trying to put all that together, plus, you know, handling interviews and speaking with people. Just, just got a lot going on. So uh, staying busy, enjoying it. Uh I uh, see last week we were kind of toning things down just briefly because I knew he's getting ready to head out. And so I was going to try to work on a lot of this type of stuff. And then, you know, phone started ringing some more. So we ended up doing about three or four interviews last week. Uh, I did one over the weekend. Let's see. Spoke to a couple people earlier this week. And I've got two or three more to go. So, again, staying busy. Uh, hopefully when he gets back, I know we've been talking about this, so I, I know we're going to be gearing up to probably head to, uh, uh, Sumter County. We know for, cause we've got one case out of there. Y'all may have listened to a short cast. I had about a gentleman on there, Brent Garcia on my Palmetto Sleuth podcast. And you know, the family had reached out to us about that. So we've been working on that a little bit, but there's in total, there's like 20 people missing out of this County. We know there's another, I think there's another search group that's been contacted about an issue there. So we're thinking about and hoping we can kind of team up with one or two of these other groups and we all just kind of hit the Sumter area for about a week or so together and see what we all can come up with. So we're talking about that, working working to try to put that together. Uh, we've got a handful around Georgia, oh my gosh, uh, Kentucky. I know there's at least a couple more in North Carolina. Uh, still the one in Tennessee. Oh my gosh, Virginia, Maryland. There's just several different, several different cases all over. So, you know, we're trying to put things together and trying to see what type of information and, and you know clues, things of that nature that we can gather in any and all of these to try to see what what, what we can and can't do. So, again, you know, just a lot of stuff we're working on. So, again, staying very busy. 
But just want to, as we always do, want to shout out to our Loudwater community and thank every one of you for the massive amount of support that you guys and gals give us. You know, the, you guys are awesome. You're the whole reason why this is all becoming possible. It's, you, you absolutely see and understand what we're trying to do. So, again, thank you so much. We appreciate you guys. Uh, so, even though... Even though we got a lot of that going on in the middle of all that, as you probably know, I briefly mentioned, I think in one of the, uh, in the episode last week, you know, put together a new studio here. So videoing things. So we get a handful of videos together, uh, get the uh, second YouTube channel set up. And you may have already done that. I just haven't asked him to be honest with you, but go start putting all these video podcasts or video casts as I like to call them onto that channel. So still got a few more to go as far as editing and get together, but you know, Going to have several. I think you'll enjoy it. So you get to kind of check out the new studio, see how things look. So those of you that listen to podcasts, hey, well, once we announce that they're up and going, you know, go to YouTube, check out the second channel, kind of see what things look like. I think you'll like it. I try to, you know, spiff it up a little bit and make it look more aesthetically pleasing. And I guess you could kind of say more like a professional studio or professional home studio. But I absolutely love it. I'm comfortable in here. It just, I'm like really happy about it. I think things are looking and going well. So, but yeah, we got, uh, we got a lot going on. And again, so many of you reach out to us, you know, send us things. You see things that we're posting or podcasting, interviewing, and some of you here find out things and you send us more information. So very grateful, very thankful. So appreciate you guys. So anyway, let's jump right into this case. Again, this is the case of uh, Corey Williams. He, again, is from Houston, Texas, that the incident took place in Gilmer, Texas. Uh, on the night of the 27th, roughly around 10 p.m., it was known that he went over to a friend's house. Again, you know, to hang out, do the guy thing, you know, probably a hard day of work, so time to unwind a little bit, you know, watch the game, what have you, you know, have a good old time and visit with friends. And uh, so roughly around midnight or just before midnight, it was made known to Corey that you know, pretty much had a couple options. It, you, you can hang out and sleep here for the night, but basically by daybreak, you, you're going to have to cut out. And I mean, probably not. I mean, maybe the guy's got children or what have you and just doesn't want a lot of people there in the morning trying to get kids ready or so, whatever. Or maybe it's just, you know, early hours for his job, something of that nature, I'm sure. But, uh, or either, you know, just go ahead and cut out now. So, what we understand, Corey just decided that he would go ahead and, and leave now. And so, subsequently, he got into his vehicle, which was a 1995 white Mercury Cougar. And, boy, I remember those cars. So, should have been a two-door. Uh, hopped into that vehicle, and that was the last he was ever seen or heard from again. Uh, roughly about, well, about 1230, about 30 minutes after midnight, uh, there was, the vehicle was found on Azalea Road. Uh, this was, like I said, several hours later, this would have been on the 28th, but there was a resident on that road that evening noticed or heard a car, I guess you could kind of say speeding down or racing down the road. It got his dogs to barking. And mentioned that he noticed how quickly it was coming down the road and saw it go by. 
And now some of you may be thinking, well, and again, you know, we're not 100% sure of what the uh, the topography was like around there, whether it was just an actual neighborhood, you know, if there's a lot of trees, if it's wide open, what type of lighting, you know, if it was a clear night, moonlight, you know, street lights, porch lights, or, you know, the little floodlights that come on at movement. I mean, so many different factors that could play into that. But generally, I mean, you got to stop and think a white vehicle, you're going to notice a white vehicle. And it was stated that he noticed that vehicle again, you know, racing down the road, had his dogs barking, but uh, didn't think much more about it. Apparently went went on to sleep. Now, this same gentleman got up the next morning, was on his way to work. So roughly around 630 that morning, he goes by and sees his vehicle on the the side of the road here, Zellia Road which is uh, near Highway 154. And what I'm understanding, that's kind of like a main road in the area. But so he called his neighbor and said, hey, you know anything about this car down here? No, don't know nothing about it, didn't see it. And now this part, I'm not sure whether it was the neighbor or the original gentleman who first saw the car the night before that checked the vehicle out, but it was stated that, you know, Either way, one of them looked in the vehicle, didn't see anybody or anything. At that point, law enforcement was called. So law enforcement does come out uh, rough uh, again sometime that morning. Uh, It stated that the investigating agency, and I'm not sure if this would have been within a a town limit or, or a county. We don't have a lot of information. Uh, it was stated that they advised that they did perform a search with drones in the area and also had, had a canine on hand that, uh, that performed a, an, at least an initial search. Uh, it's unclear, though, how thorough and extensive the, the searches were. You know, and, and some of that could depend on the weather conditions. Again, was it made known what the weather conditions were like? If, you know, if it was... Obviously, that's July, so in Texas, I'm pretty sure it was warm, but don't know if it was storming that morning, you know, raining, or just just a standard good old Texas morning. Not really sure. Uh, Now, it is mentioned, again, that there was a dog on hand that that they brought in to track a scent, and it was stated that the dog picked up a scent somewhere around the car and tracked it along a fence line, going towards what they considered the main road, which would have been uh, Highway 154. Now, they say that the handler stated that the scent stopped at the roadway, again, Highway 154, and there was no movement from the K-9 either left or right. It's like whatever it was tracking stopped right there and vanished, or, you know, who knows, could have been picked up in a car or forced into a vehicle, something of that nature, but that's pretty much where it stopped. So... And again, you know, can think of several things that, that could have happened at, at, at that at that juncture. But now there is a little bit of confusion from what we were being advised of. And again, we've had several people reach out to us, I guess, from that area. I sent us what information they know or what they've been able to come across. You know, some of the, now some of these again, most of this is you know is going to be through social media. So maybe some of it is just people that like to investigate these type of things on their own, getting this information, sending it to us. But again, you know, we, I looked into it and looked, read several articles online from local news stations and things of that nature to kind of 
cooperate and see what, what all fits, fits matches and, and didn't. But, but again, that there was confusion. It was mentioned that there was a pair of Corey brute, Corey's boots brought to the scene. So the dog would have an item to, you know, get a scent off of to track off of. But now one of these astute listeners sent to us and stated that from what they understand, some of the confusion was that Corey's brother may have been wearing those boots just prior to that. So, you know, I don't know if what type of work they do. Maybe they're both in construction or oil fields or what have you, work boots. So just grabbed a pair, put them on to, to do whatever. But then they're like, hey, you know, we need something. Well, I've got, the, hey, I've got Corey's boots. If y'all want these, that type of thing. Well, what I'm going to tell you there, and and not dispelling anybody, not, not saying anything bad about anybody, I'm mean, just using simple common sense here and the fact that I was a canine handler at one point. The first thing that comes to mind is that now that whole situation is contaminated. You know, with, with a dog, you know, and, and I don't know if a lot of people really understand how this thing works with dogs and tracking, but... You know, a, a dog's sense of smell is completely different, obviously, than ours. You know, you, you put, I don't know, you, you put a steak in front of us that's been seasoned, salt and peppered, and whatever else you put on it, and, uh, you know, put it on the grill. We're just going to smell just that overall smell of, the, of that grilling steak with some seasoning on it. it smells great. Well, these canines, you know, and, and most agencies use German Shepherds, uh, Belgian Malinois, and... Dutch Shepherds, that those are probably the, the three main dogs of choice. And the, 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 the smell sensing of, of these type of animals, whereas, like I said, we smell just that overall thing of, of meat grilling. They're, they're going to smell the meat, what, what all is on that grill from the previous, you know, grilling session, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you season that steak with, salt, pepper, you know, you may have, I don't know, soaked in some type of marinade, and it's going to have different ingredients in it. The, the, the dog senses can actually literally pick out each and every different scent from each ingredient. So, you know, thousands upon thousands of, of times more sensitive in their ability to sense out or sniff out certain types of things. So when you, now that you've got that kind of sense or idea, when you... When somebody, you're looking for this article to give this dog a, a scent of something, well, number one, it's not from the scene. You know, we, we should have tried to find something within the car from the scene. Now you're bringing something that somebody else has handled, has worn, has touched, picked up, whatever. I mean, it's contaminated. And more than likely, that dog's going to be confused. Or, and, and who knows? They said that there was a search conducted. Uh, you know, it, it, if they got them, they said, the, I, I, again, it, you know, all this information is just what we're being given. A lot of people don't know know some of these things. But was his brother on scene or did they call and ask him about, hey, you know, do you got, well, yeah, I've got these boots. Well, can you bring them to us? Something like that. Well, if that's what's ha- happened or even if he was on scene, you know, because he was knowing, hey, you know, we found your brother's car. He's missing. And, so he's upset. He comes to the scene to find out what's happened to his brother. He had those boots on for work or whatever, moving around and walking around. So you see where I'm getting at. The, the whole thing is tainted. And I don't mean that in, in some, like, 
legal or Ill- illegal way or somebody's trying to hide anything. No. But just just simply, you know, obviously this brother didn't know something was going to happen to his brother, so he didn't know anything like this was about to happen. And they're asking for this or that, and he's probably remembering, oh, hey, I've got his boots. Nothing wrong with that. But from the professional standpoint of, of doing that type of work and knowing how all that works, that's a bad move. That whole thing's contaminated. So what that dog tracked, what was he tracking? Or, you know, is it if his brother or whoever was wearing those boots, whatever scent he had, did it, you know, was it somewhat windy that day? Whatever did it? Did that scent from him just kind of you know go across the ground, across that fence line? Maybe the dog was picking up on his scent. I mean, it's things like that. So those type of things should have been thought about, and apparently weren't. But and again, I know I'm kind of breaking this down as a law enforcement thing, but again, that that's the whole point. You know, been there, done that, understand those type of things. So that that was an issue right there. So. You know, for the family's sake, you know, that could be good or bad. I guess, you know, they were being told that there was a scent track to the roadway, but now, you know, maybe it was something different. So that that could be, you know, good or bad. But again, you know, that that, that was not an ideal situation. Let, let, let's put it that way. Now, there is some speculation and some of our listeners or people that were reaching out to us told us they think that his vehicle, Corey's vehicle, that he didn't drive it there and whatever happened left the car there. They felt that it was taken there and dropped off on purpose. Of course, now, my first question is, you know, okay, the car's there, and if he was driving it, you know, why did he just park it and leave it? Was the vehicle broke down? Did they check to see if it was broken down? You know, or is it just simply one of those situations where, again, you know, did he pull over for some reason? Was he not feeling well? Or, you know, maybe somebody was following him, maybe somebody didn't see the other vehicle and they pulled up. I mean, there's so many scenarios that can come out of that, and I get that and understand that. But apparently nothing has been said. I can't find anything in any of the articles, anything that I read online, that anybody thought the vehicle was broken down. It just looked like it was just pulled over and parked. So, I mean, that does raise many questions. Why? And what happened from that point? So... You know, again, kind of interesting, but now there are some, I guess you could say rumors, but there are those that have reached out to us that are telling us that it's being said that his body had been dumped or discarded at a location or one of of several locations within that area or within a short driving distance of that area. Uh... Some of them mentioned some churches. I'm not sure what the significance is of of churches, but one of our, I guess, listeners or viewers had some, I guess they heard some, I'm assuming it might be somebody in the area or what have you, but this is what they've heard and found out, and this is what they sent to us. But there are some telling others that Corey could have been discarded, definitely at, at one of these churches. Uh now, it's unclear if 
again, if law enforcement has checked into these possibilities, you know, again, I understand there are rumors, but the, the, the whole thing, though, is whether it's rumor or not, you know, in a law enforcement capacity, when someone gives you information, you know, you, you got to track it down and either dispel it or, or prove it. So, you know, the, the, there's just not a whole lot of information available. So, you know, we're not sure what all law enforcement has done or has not done. And again, not saying anything bad in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, I'm not saying anything towards the agency or anything of that nature. So, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying these are some of the things that, are, you know, some of the questions we're wondering about because there's just not much information about it. But... You know, I guess my question would be is, you know, if some people are saying they think that he was discarded, dumped at, at a church or, or somewhere in that location, so why is that being thought of? And then secondly, how many churches or places that something like this could be done, how many are in that area? And then you got to kind of come up with, with uh, I guess, a radius where the car is you know do you go roughly five miles eight miles you know something to that effect so you know just wondering how much of churches or places that it would kind of be easy to dispose of or cover a body up how much of that is is, is within you know i'd say 10 15 minutes of where the vehicle was so again you know i know there's not a lot of information here but Again, it is kind of interesting, you know, I'm not from Texas, but, you know, have seen a lot of it. When my dad was in the Air Force, he was stationed out there a couple of times when I was a kid. So I remember a lot of it. And, and you know, Texas, that there's a lot of wide open out there. So I'm kind of curious as to what that whole area, maybe within where the car was, let's say within 10, 15 miles, a radius, what, what, is, what, what is topography like? You know, is it a lot of? open area fields there are a lot of waterways and again you know someone's mentioning for whatever reason about churches so how much of all this what what is it all laid out like what does it look like so something to think about uh but now you know with this being said you know that there are several questions here now, obviously first and foremost you know where is Corey? what where did he go what happened to him was there anybody else? Was you know, was there something else involved for him to disappear? I mean, there, there's so many questions just to that because obviously none of us know. You know what what happened that last night? You know, once he left that house, you know, what was he upset? Was you know, did he just decide he wanted you know to go somewhere else? Decided he wanted to go, you know, find, you know, a late night meal somewhere, take a drive, you know, what what have you. I mean, there's several different questions just to raise from that that makes you wonder, and you know, what was, and, and do not mean this in any disrespectful way, shape, or form, but, you know, at the time, what was his mental state? You know, and by that, I don't mean that, you know, he's having some type of mental issues or breakdown. I do not mean that in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying, you know, was he upset about something? You know, I don't know, maybe, I don't know what type of work he does, but, you know, maybe he was, maybe had a rough day or two at work and was just upset about that, or, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe something happened to a friend or to a family member, maybe somebody, you know, come down 
you know, with some type of sickness. I mean, you know, there's so many things that can affect somebody and, you know, you don't know how you're going to handle or deal with something until it happens. So maybe he was upset about something. So again, you know, without very, with so little information, there's so many questions and, you know, what, the, the vehicle, you know, obviously coming from a law enforcement standpoint, you know, I, my curiosity and wonderment is how, how was the vehicle processed? You know, do they just do fingerprints or do they do that at all? And again, don't know the agency, don't know how large they are, if they're having budget constraints, manpower issues. That's a pretty common thing, unfortunately, nowadays. But, you know, did they do DNA swabs? Did they look for anything unusual in the car, look for any type of uh, bodily fluid splatters, anything of that nature, look for something that just looked out of place. Did they check the area around the car to look to see if there was a struggle, footprints, tire marks, tire spin marks, you know, several different things. And, and the DNA thing, I'm going to touch on that for a minute, you know, <clears throat> that should absolutely be the the main thing being processed at crime scenes nowadays is DNA swabs. And the reason why I say that, one of the agencies I, I worked at a few years ago, very large agency, probably one of the largest agencies in the state of South Carolina. And uh, I didn't know, I'd been out of law enforcement for a few years, so I didn't know much about the whole DNA swab thing. But... When that come about, and when I was introduced to that and trained on, you know, how to, to do that on, on a crime scene, I was just like, holy cow, this is so cool. And by that, I wasn't a crime scene tech, but we had several crime scene techs, but a lot of simple basic things like a stolen vehicle or recovered stolen vehicle, a lot of certain simple things that, you know, we, we can do these type of things to save them a lot of time and trouble, then, you know, we, we would do that. So with that being said, you know, it, you know, a DNA swab is a very simple thing. It kind of looks like a Q-tip, but it's a little wooden stick, probably about four, five inches long, about five inches long. And it's inside of a, a sterile uh, plastic, plastic wrapping. You also have this little box that when you're done with it, you'll put it in that box. And, you know, it's just a little box just big enough for that thing. And it might be, I don't know, half inch wide in diameter all the way around. But on each side, there's information you can put on it, like where, what the DNA swab is of, where, what did you take it off of, you know, the case number, date, you know, all those type of things. So a lot of information you put on that box. But it's very simple, you know, put on, obviously, a pair of uh, sterile gloves, get some uh, distilled water. And I usually kept a gallon of it in the back of my patrol car, but also had this little, like, eye droplet thing that I kept it in, or... I say eye droplet, just like a little body bottle with a little spout on top of it so you can just barely squeeze and get a couple drops. But to put the gloves on, get that bottle ready, pull the uh, the little Q-tip swab out of a sterile container, put about probably about three drops roughly of distilled water on there, and then whatever you're wanting to try to see if there's going to be a DNA sample or wherever you think there could be a DNA touch on there, just start swabbing this slightly wet Q-tip across it. And let's say, all right, we've got a recovery of a stolen vehicle. So a little common sense. Do that to the exterior handle. 
and probably be smart to just go ahead and do all of them. But then, you know, the, the interior door handle, where you pull it, grab hold of it, close the door, you know, obviously the steering wheel, the, the shifter, even the radio, you know, temperature control buttons, glove box, center console, anything and everything you think somebody's probably going to touch. You know, we don't know, obviously, the size of the person, so they may have had to adjust the seat, so hit those things. You know, maybe they're a very conscientious driver and want to get make sure their mirrors were set right, so hit the mirrors too. And typically, you're going to get what they call a buccal swab. So you use the same exact stuff. You just don't put the distilled water on it, but put it in the victim, whoever owns the vehicle, for example, just swab the inside of their mouth. So that way that they can get a test of, okay, we know this is the victim's DNA. So as they start to test the evidence DNA, if they come across that, well, they know, okay, this belongs to the owner. And, well, we've got this DNA, so this is something else. This is our suspect or, or, or what have you. So it's actually pretty cool. So unfortunately, a lot of agencies, though, can't do that or don't do that because, again, money, budget, manpower, but also a lot of it can have to do with, you know, the there, that the end, you know, do does their state police do that type of thing? Does, you know, if they're a smaller agency, municipal agency, does the sheriff's department do that type of thing? Again, you know, this particular agency was a sheriff's department, so, you know, their own crime scene people, they had people that could analyze this stuff in-house, so it didn't have to be sent off. Also had, you know, we're building our own database, the jail within this county. It, and I, as a matter of fact, I, I'm, I could be wrong. It might be state law. I'm not 100%. But cert, certain charges or chargeable offenses and up and it had to do with whether it was a felony or not or if it was a high misdemeanor with, with certain types of uh, sentences involved that type of thing if someone was arrested with the, any one of these particular charges off of these guidelines then they there was a DNA sample taken from them and it was put into a database so that's how you know they build build this up so something happens out here you, you get a DNA swab off of it they analyze it, do their thing, get it built up ready, put it in the database, and, hey, if it matches somebody, you got something. If not, well, that's put into that database for the future and hope something, you know, some type of evidence comes forward. So pretty cool, pretty cool technique, pretty cool thing to do. And, you know, all law enforcement absolutely 100% needs to move towards that. I can speak and tell you right now, one of the things I hated doing the most is fingerprinting. That is the most aggravating thing. Now, the last agency I was at, my lieutenant loved it. He used to get cracked up. That all of us were like, "Oh, I don't want to do that," you know. And he would put on a little class of showing it, dude. It's not this hard, but <laughs> it, it can be aggravating though because you know if you don't do it right, then you mess it up. You know, if you are able to pull, a, find a print, say, "Hey, you know that this is something here." You've got to dust it properly. You've got to be able to put that tape across it properly, transfer it. And actually, it's not hard to mess it up, especially if you don't have experience and not very well trained in how to do it. Also, you know, fingerprints, pretty much you can only get them off of certain things. There's a lot of items out there that are very porous, and it's not going to work trying to pull them off. So... It's not the most ideal thing when you compare it to technology now and DNA and things of that nature, but DNA is so easy and simple to do. 
the, the question and issue there obviously is having something to compare it to or to match it to, which turns into uh, needing a database. So that turns in really into a time thing. So, but it absolutely, that's what it needs to be moved to. It, it, that, that could be very, very, very beneficial for law enforcement and, and victims and the families of victims in the long run. So, you know, something to think about, something to chew on. You know, if any of y'all want to or you're curious or interested in this type of thing, I challenge you, you know, check with some of your local law enforcement agencies to see if they do do that. You know, find out what it takes to be able to do that. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know. Maybe some of y'all can, you know, help some of these agencies do some fundraisers, help them, you know, to be able to put something like that together. I mean, anything's possible, but it, it would absolutely be so much more beneficial and easier for all agencies if this was the standard. Because then you, and I'll throw this out there, you, you really wouldn't need a crime scene tech or have that type of personnel and training and all this for something, because DNA swabbing is actually very simple. It's just, you know, follow certain guidelines, do it this way. It's not hard. It's not like you got to figure out, huh, well, I better make sure I, I rub it in this direction, or I do no. Put a few dabs of that distilled water, rub it in there. You, you think that a suspect would have grabbed, touched, whatever. Put it in the box, tag it properly, and you're good to go. That simple. It's just a matter of having it set up or having somewhere that can analyze it for you. And then, of course, being able to match it to something. So, you know, but again, pretty cool concept. But anyway, you know, going back, you know, one other thing I'm wondering is what was the area canvassed. And by that, I mean, did was the law enforcement agency able do they have the manpower, the means to maybe come up with, with the radius from the vehicle and however you want to do it, two miles, five miles. But just, I mean, you can start out very simply and actually Mike and I do this a lot, is just ride the area within that radius and just see what you see camera wise. You know, again, don't know the area, not from there. Are, are there businesses around there? Do any of them have some type of security system? homes neighborhoods and if so you know did any of those homes or neighborhoods do they have you know some type of security camera or simply the ring doorbell camera that's probably like the most popular security camera out there right now and this was just seven months ago so these things have been around for a few short years so they're everywhere but matter of fact he and i were in greenville on something just a few weeks ago greenville south carolina on a case that was brought to our attention and we were given the exact locations of where the now missing individual walked to and back from and were sitting. And this was around the hospital area. And granted, it was a couple of years ago with these camera systems, and for that matter, other camera systems have been around way longer than that. But we went down the, the one main road that we know that she had walked up and walked back down and good Lord, I think we just like lost count or stopped counting of all just the ring doorbell camera systems. You know, even the fire department near there had security cameras up. Tons of businesses, everybody's got that. So our question is, you know, did, did, was any of that truly looked into? Is it time consuming and aggravating? Yes, it is. But as an investigator, that you know, that, that's your job. That, that's part of what you do. 
So I'm, I'm curious out there in that area, you know, if there were a lot of camera systems and if any of that was looked into, you know, now seven months later, if you go back and look, you know, it's hard to say, you know, it, it depends on the system. Some things are looped to, you know, re-record every 15 days, every 30 days, 60 days. You know, some systems may have it set up where, where stuff is pushed into some type of, you know, storage, or, you know, don't know how far back it's going to go. Or, you know, the owner of that system can go in there and probably move it and clear it out or move it into storage if they think they need to. If they don't really have an issue that would make them want to look at it, then they're probably just going to delete and keep on rolling. So I, I, I understand that there's a lot to that, but... I mean, that, that is something to think about. And again, that, that, that is a possibility and wonder. And again, we're wondering if any of that was looked into. Uh, but again, now, you know, we're, we're pushing seven months. You know, he's been gone for seven months. There, there's been very little change and pretty much no new information from what we can understand, what's been told to us by the several people that have reached out to us. But the bottom line is, you, you know, we're talking about a human being. We're talking about a living, breathing person. And, you know, th th this gentleman was a son to someone. He was a husband to somebody, from what we understand. You know, this person's missing. There's someone who was loved and who's needed. So, you know, we're hoping this getting this story out there will help raise awareness. We'll reach out to many other people, you know, give this family, give this missing gentleman a voice and hoping somebody will hear this and, you know, remember something, have a piece of information, even the most tidbit minute piece of information, but have something that could change this whole case for this agency and for this family. So again, you know, spread this, you know, help, help get it out there, man. Help us help this family and help this agency try to solve this, this missing person case. You know, it, when you look at the statistics about missing people, it, it's very staggering. And the, the amount that go cold case missing every year that stack on top of the already cold case missing. It's, I mean, guys, guys, I just don't know how it's say it. It, it. It's very sobering, but it's, it's very, it's concerning and sad, you know. But the bottom line is you got to look at, you know, no one deserves anything to happen to them and no one deserves to be missing. You know, these families don't deserve this. But, you know, law enforcement can only do so much. You know, that they have, again, budget constraints, manpower. You know, they're only limited by what they have. So when you have these type of statistics, I always call it a quiet epidemic when it comes to the missing. You know, it, it falls back on people that see, hear, watch, pay attention. It falls back on people like us who get out here to try to do these searches, people that help spread the word, spread the stories and get it out there. You know, everybody pretty much has a phone nowadays. Everybody's pretty much on social media. So that's why we use it to try to spread awareness, try to help get this out there in hopes that somebody will hear it, see it, know something, say something. So again, you know, everyone, 
thank you for listening. We appreciate it. You know, to recap, you know, this gentleman, Corey Williams, has been missing for seven years, seven months. I'm sorry. Very little information. You know, he left a buddy's house. They found the car or someone found the car the next day off the side of the road and pretty much just very little evidence or information from that point on. So kind of a difficult case. But again, you know, as Mike and I both feel, generally there's always somebody that knows something. So as he likes to say, you know, if you know something, say something. Bottom line is let's bring closure to this family. Let's help this agency get this case solved, closed, and this family taken care of. So, you know, again, help us spread the story, spread the word. If you would, please, absolutely, keep the family of Mr. Williams in your thoughts and prayers, you know, just in hopes that, that something or somebody can come forward to, to help these help these wonderful people out and hopefully get this situation resolved. So, again, thank you so much. Thank you for supporting us, standing by. If you get a moment, you know, if you haven't already, Whatever platform you listen to podcasts on, go and follow our podcast. You know, like our, subscribe our YouTube channel, our Facebook pages, help us out because that helps us build a community to help people. So again, have a great week coming coming up. Keep your families close. And as always, remember, stay safe. Thank you.